Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. And oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd get slapped with a diagnosis of geromorphism if you made me lose my mind because you missed this week's show. The high-growth nonprofit. Matt Scott returns to talk us through his new book, The High-Growth Nonprofit. He urges you to shed the 5% growth mindset and plan for exponential growth with your rapid growth plan. Matt is CEO of Cosmic. On Tony's Take 2, 23 NTC shows coming. We're sponsored by DonorBox. With intuitive fundraising software from DonorBox, your donors give four times faster. Helping you help others. DonorBox.org. Here is the High Growth Nonprofit. It's my pleasure to welcome back Matt Scott to Nonprofit Radio. He is CEO and co-founder of Cosmic, a Portland, Oregon-based consultancy helping nonprofits leverage best-in-class for-profit methods to grow their organizations. Before Cosmic, he was a fundraising leader on the inside of numerous young and fast nonprofits, one of which he helped take from $275,000 to $51 million in seven years. We'll be talking about that one. He's the author of the book, The High Growth Nonprofit, Proven Steps to Quickly Double Your Revenue and Drive Impact. The company is at Cosmic.com, and Matt's book is at Cosmic.com slash book. Matt Scott, welcome back to Nonprofit Radio. Thank you for having me. Saw this on the calendar and was feeling pretty stoked about it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, you just looked five minutes ago? Like you, weren't, you haven't been anticipating it for the past month? Uh, I absolutely looked uh, last night and was very oh, okay. excited. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. I'll accept uh, 12 hours of excitement is is is, thank, is, is terrific. Thank you. Uh, congratulations. Congratulations on the book, The High Growth Nonprofit. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, if any of your if any of your listeners has ever have ever written a book, uh, they they will probably relate. It took me twice as long as I thought it would to write yeah. this. So. I've heard that numerous times. Right. All right. But it's done. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, let's talk with uh, with a 30,000 foot view. You you reference uh, different uh, degrees of views in the book. And uh, one of them is 30,000 foot. What What's a high growth nonprofit? I think a high growth nonprofit is an organization that is looking to go beyond incremental growth. Um, an organization that's looking to double their revenue and impact over the next two to three years. Um, and it's an organization, yeah, that's that's willing to take bold, calculated risk and also follow some, some process and systems to get there. Um, yeah, it's an organization ready to invest in growth. Okay, uh, that's audacious, doubling in uh, two to three years growth, uh, revenue and impact. All right. So one of the early chapters uh, makes it clear that uh, if we're going to achieve high growth, we need to outgrow our 5% mindset. Yeah. Help, uh, help us through. 
Yeah, this is this is my favorite exercise or tip or uh, out, you know, just learning from the book um, because it's worked time and time again, big, small, it scales at every size organization. It's quite simple. It's most organizations, uh, especially fundraisers are guilty of this. They set these really low uh, revenue targets and then they like to wildly exceed them. Um, at least that's what I did when I was a frontline fundraiser. Um, but really uh, yeah. classic uh, 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 under uh, under what uh, overperform under undersell over undersell over and overperform. Perform. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, outgrowing the five percent growth mindset is is this idea that most organizations look to grow say five, ten, fifteen percent. You know, and the reality is you don't actually have to do anything differently in order to grow that incremental growth. You just have to do what you're currently doing and do it a little bit better. And so what we encourage folks to do is to kind of gather around a whiteboard with their team and say, answer this question. What if we had no choice but to double our revenue with half the resources over the next three years? What would we do? And it's awesome because in a resource-constrained environment, you're forced to uh, get creative. Innovation comes to life. And you're forced to ruthlessly prioritize. And that's usually how you can begin to set a path towards exponential growth. Um, and we've, we've seen this, we've seen this work at lots of clients. And I think it's something that, uh, that is an easy thing for a leader to do. And in addition to having an audacious growth goal mindset, you need to have a plan for achieving audacious goals, which is what, I, uh, to me, this is what the book is all about. It's not, yeah. it's not enough to just be audacious in goal setting. We need to have, right. we need to have a method of getting there that's going to be different than what we've been doing. Yeah, exactly. I, I could I could say I would like to be 50 pounds lighter by my birthday, but if I don't actually have any plan to, you know, to replace, uh, to, to drink green tea and eat more vegetables, I probably am not going to get there. <laughs> I love the idea of exponential, uh, exponential growth. Um, let's talk about the North Star. And and why don't you, uh, yeah, talk about the North Star. What, what What's our North Star? Yeah, I think what's what comes to mind for me is, is uh, unlike a mission statement, a North Star is sort of this, this guiding light for your organization. It's more about the why. Um, and, it, you know, the analogy kind of comes to mind, like as you're a kid and you're exploring, and you know or any explorer really and and the thought is that this north star can kind of take you in a certain direction it can always guide you and point you there and uh it's something that when i was at team rubicon nonprofit that 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 repurposes the skills of military veterans to to assist folks who have been affected by disaster um that's the that's our, the organization that you grew uh, referred to in your bio yeah, exactly. I was a part of uh, I was a part of our rapid growth there and in, in fundraising, and uh, there was a lot of people involved in that. But but the organization was ran by um, this guy named Jake Wood, a, a former Marine. Or uh, if there's any Marines listening, I apologize. There's no such thing as a former Marine, right, right. <laughs> a Marine, I yeah, should say, like, like Eagle Scout. Yeah, yeah, Marine exactly. For, Marine for life, Eagle Scout for yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I hope I still make his Christmas cards list um, for making that error. But yeah, Jake pounded the North Star in our head to be the best disaster relief organization in the world. 
And we were really encouraged to take these bold calculated risks. And it was, it was that guiding star to say, Hey, when we're, when we're at a decision point, when we're trying to figure out what to do, look to that North star and say, is this going to get us closer there? Is it going to guide us towards that direction? And I think it's important for an organizational uh, a leader to set the organization's North star and to communicate that frequently. So, you know, at cosmic, we we're laser focused on helping uh, fully fund every nonprofit organization. Um, that's a pretty big, bold, audacious thing. It's like being the best disaster response org in the world. And throughout the journey to get there, you're going to, you know, you're going to have all these decision points and it helps you, I think, filter through them. I like that the book is filled with examples of basically you, you walking your walk, you, uh, use a lot of examples from, uh, from cosmic. Yeah. From cosmic, from clients, like, um, honestly, the book is filled with, with just as many lessons that were learned from trying something and it not working. But one of our cultural principles is success is not final. And another one is the future belongs to the curious. And I think the combination of those two things are what, what allows an organization to try uh, try new approaches, but then when something works well, to examine it, to look at it, understand why it worked or why it didn't work and what's still missing about it and to refine it. And so I try to share examples from our experience um, because I'm so uh, goal-oriented and sometimes I share with with Bobby, someone who's like my thought partner, my operational partner here at Cosmic, just, just the other day I shared with her, I was like, gosh, you know, uh, I was like, I, I wish we were growing faster. And she said, Matt, we more than doubled our, you know, last year ourselves. And we helped 22 clients double at the same time. Like, let's take a breath and like, look at what, what worked and what didn't and what we accomplished. And I think that that, that that's what I tried to include in the book was the stories from those lessons learned. And I hope it, I hope it comes through. <laughs> it does. It does. And True to your uh, walking your talk, I said you. I said you uh, walk your walk. You walk your talk. True to walking your talk, uh, uh, your north star. Uh, one of them is to fully fund every nonprofit. Uh, you know, you do know there's about a million and a half of them, right? <laughs> yeah, there's there's uh, far too many probably to realistically reach. And I got to be honest, like we've refined that over the years to be those that align with our values. Like I actually, I hope that there's certain organizations that don't have access to my book and don't actually put to use (laughs) these practices, but you're scaling back, scaling down a little bit. All right. That's, that's perfectly reasonable with a universe of a million and a half or more, but true to your North star, uh, you are giving this book away. Yeah. Folks just go to cosmic.com slash book and give a name and an address and you'll ship the book for free. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to ask why you're doing that because it's your North, it's your North star. That's why. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, yeah, we give away free strategy calls too. And I'm going to be honest, like a lot of the calls are folks that aren't necessarily in the right mindset or in the right place to benefit from the approach that we take. But we still want to help them. So we've developed a free curriculum. Like we've, you know, I, I just wanted to capture some of the lessons that I've learned and so many, I've gotten so much free advice over the years. Um, 
that I'm so grateful for that we wanted to put some of those thoughts down on paper and and share those with folks and um yeah just help people help people grow and scale it and it's the easiest way to to distribute our knowledge out there you have a chapter on uh, and all your chapters are short this is quick this is a, it it's a quick read but valuable and i mean it has to be valuable you get it for free so yeah. if it if it has just infinitesimal value <laughs> and you got it, then you have if it's just infinitesimal value then you have a positive roi because yeah i mean cosmic is paying for the shipping so culture you talk so one of your one of the many chapters culture culture is the glue how do we i i think folks probably understand why that's important but how do we create the culture that we want yeah yeah so um I kind of already shared with you two of our cultural principles at Cosmic, right? And I could still remember and recite all seven cultural principles at Team Rubicon. But I've also worked at two other places in my career where I actually cannot recite even one of the cultural principles because they they were a poster on a wall, right? So when I think about cultural principles, they need to be what guides your team in the absence of your presence. So just a few years ago when it was myself and Bobby and one full-time person here at Cosmic, uh, Franny, who still works with us. Um, I remember gathering her and saying, sharing with her, there's going to be a time when we're not in the room, you're going to be alone in the room and we're going to make a decision about how we need to move forward. People are going to question that decision and we won't be there to answer it. And I need you to look to these cultural principles to guide you and to provide them with context as to why this decision is made um, so that we can all be aligned and so that we can all move forward together. So I think when, you know, to address your question, I think of two parts. One is like, what is the importance? The, the, the critical part is that you have, that your team has something that they can fall back on to filter through their actions, their ideas, to understand your decisions, all those things in the absence of your presence, it's really important. How to get there? Um, it's as basic as sitting down and writing down, like think about yourself, think about your top performing people on your team, the best people you've ever worked with if you're just building your team from scratch. What are the characteristics of those folks? What is it that they have in common? Where is their overlap? And start to write those things down. Don't go with these lofty like integrity and things like, that's kind of baseline, I hope, at wherever it is that you're working, right? But go with like, what is uniquely you? And then you can actually refine them. And that's how we come up with fun stuff. Like at Team Rubicon, uh, one of my favorite cultural principles was uh, your mother's a donor. So when we think about how we're going to reinvest the money that is given to Team Rubicon to serve folks affected by disaster, think about it as if your mother gave us that money. Mm. And that was a really cool right way to frame that up and so at cosmic we've we've got fun ones too right like sleeves up um at team rubicon it was get shit done so the you could start to put a fun spin on it and then it, how you move it into action um i found is you repeat it all the time and you call it out all the time um uh are you familiar with strengths finder tony no don't know them 
it's it's a it's a, a Gallup uh, kind of generated thing where you fill out this survey. Millions of people have filled it out, and it kind of identifies what are your top five strengths of all these different strengths, right? And a lot of folks use StrengthsFinder, but they go to a half day session and then they never talk about it again. And the same is true about cultural principles. They take a day, a week, a month to define these cultural principles. They're passive. They're on a poster and they're not ever talked about. And so you have to like, when you see sleeves up, when you see success is not final, whatever yours are, you have to call attention and call it out and say, hey, Franny, that was amazing. You know, that was a success is not final moment for you. This is, thank you. You know, this is what works about it. I think that's what I would say about cultural principles is define them, but but re revisit them often. Um, that's how you're going to be able to fully leverage them. What guides your team in the absence of your presence? I love that. It's time for a break. Stop the drop with DonorBox, the online donation platform. How many potential donors drop off before they finish making the donation on your website? You can stop the drop and break that cycle with DonorBox's ultimate donation form. Add it to your website in minutes. There's no coding required. When you stop the drop, the potential donors become donors. Four times faster checkout and more convenient ways to give from leading payment processors. There's no setup fees, no monthly fees, no contract required. You'll be joining over 40,000 U.S. nonprofits. DonorBox, helping you help others. DonorBox.org. Now back to the high-growth nonprofit. Say a little more about uh, yours, success is not final. What does that mean to, to Cosmic? Yeah. To Cosmic, it means um, we actually do. I learned, again, I learned this kind of thing at Team Rubicon. We did this thing called an after-action report, which is sort of came out of the military culture where we would evaluate, mm. hey, we just responded to Hurricane Harvey. What worked, what didn't, what was missing, what was confusing, right? Um, and so what we do here at Cosmic and is we actually evaluate, like, like literally we did a retrospective on writing this book. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think it was a success. Uh, can't wait to come out with a second volume, but I'm like, okay, what are all the things that need to be, that need fixing, you know, that could be better about how we approach this. Um, and there was a ton of them. And then how taking the lessons that we learned about the, the editing process, like the outlining process, um, the boiling it down to two, like you said, I mean, it was written in a way for, to be, to be, you know, kind of digested on a domestic flight. But we we try to put like the key lessons up front. Well, that actually came out of uh, another project that we worked on, where the the audience of of our curriculum said, you know, the the just like the lesson learned up front was really helpful. So it's taking that success from one thing and applying it to what worked well this time, and also looking back and saying. What did work? What did not go well about that fundraising campaign that we just ran? What what didn't go well about that digital transformation that we just did? And how do we address that for the next go around so that we can improve upon how we deliver, you know, services to clients and, and impact to the world? As you said, each chapter has two 
takeaways uh, up front, right under the yeah. title of the chapter. There's two shaded boxes that are going to tell you what that chapter is all about. Yeah, you could skip the chapter if you if you're really short on time or not intrigued by what it says or. No, you should. I think you make this point. If if one doesn't appeal to you, that you should read it all the more to find out yeah. what what it is that you're missing about the takeaway that uh, that you're not getting. You know yeah. what, it, what it is you don't understand about the takeaway that that makes it uh, uninteresting to you. So read a couple of pages and and come away enlightened. Right. Yeah. Um, you talk some about. Um, well, actually, let's I'll get a little, little deeper in your in your own life. The, the this Team Rubicon sounds like it was, I don't know, transformational for you. You know, so grounding. You you took away a lot from your time at Team Rubicon. Yeah, I sure did. Uh, the the opportunity, you know, for for your more established leaders who are listening to this, twenty uh, two year old Matt was given way too much responsibility <laughs> uh, military uh, I, that that comes that comes right from your your founder jake the yeah. military does that it, yeah 18 year olds are given incredible responsibility yeah. right out of right out of high school exactly if you give people clear direction commander's intent um as jake would call it uh and 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 as and uh, and a sense of connection with one another a sense of codependency with one another mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, even if you fail, if you're failing forward, you're going to do okay. Right. So, uh, for me at team Rubicon, all of the places that I've worked, I've, you know, have taught me a lot. Um, but I learned about, I think the 30,000 foot at team Rubicon, um, the, the power of having a really strong, uh, direction that we're headed at the horizon level and then how to operationalize it is really critical. So um, I I was given the opportunity to, to, by given the opportunity, I mean, there was a problem and, and someone let me, let me just tackle it. Right. <laughs> um, to, to lead two and a half digital transformations in my seven years, but I had never done that before. Um, and so learning a lot from that or developing a mass market fundraising program, building out a fundraising team, um, you know, partnering with marketing, all of these different things that, uh, that were so, so important to who I am today and how I lead today and how I help others lead is, is because of the lessons that I learned. And and I'm going to be honest, a lot of stuff did not work, um, at all. And so I'll share an example that maybe will resonate with folks. Like one of the things we do, and I talk about it in the book is that the strategic planning process is completely broken at most organizations, right? It takes three to six months. It costs over $200,000 in staff time and consulting. And usually it, it, it ends up with this 50 page strategic planning document that nobody reads and is completely inactionable. And at team Rubicon, what we would do is we would actually develop strategic plans every six months, we were putting new ones out there and we would look back and laugh at where we thought we would be. Sometimes we we thought we were like going to the moon and actually we ended up at Mars or sometimes we overshot, sometimes we fell way short, but the plan was like a good place to deviate from. It was a, it was a, it was something to guide us, but it was not a, des- a destination. The planning process at, you know, um, what's it, uh, 
I'm going to mess up which general this was, but one of these famous generals talks about how a plan is useless, but the act of planning is really, is really what is really useful because it brings people together and gives people a common understanding. And so at Team Rubicon, like we would fail all the time at our strategic plans, but but we were always had a bias for action over a bias for documentation. We always had a, a bias for getting things done. And um, yeah, I'm very grateful for the time that I had there because I don't think I would be able to support so many organizations today if it weren't for the opportunity to fail early um, and succeed early, you know? GSD, get shit done, right? Mm -hmm. You talk like you were in the military, like operationalize, commander's intent. You know, you you sound like you were a, yeah. a paramarine yourself. Oh gosh, I have three. I have three brothers who serve in the military, uh, but uh, I did not have any military jargon or discipline whatsoever <laughs> before going to Team Rubicon. So. It's a hundred percent a byproduct of my as my time as a gray shirt, and it has nothing to do with uh, with uh, my level of service stops at the nonprofit sector, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, and uh, gray shirts, of course, were the Team Rubicon volunteers, right? Those exactly, were, those were the gray shirts. Yeah. All right, so yeah. let's explore a little more the strategic plan. You you spend a couple of chapters on it, uh, having an adaptable strategic plan. And, yeah. and why, don't, why don't you bring in another organization, The uh, you talk about the uh, SFP, the Salamta Family Project. Yeah, Salamta their, Family their, Project. Their yeah. adaptable strategic plan. Yeah, so what I what I favor is 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 action over over documentation, right? But documentation is important. So capturing your strategy on a single page, it's like, what are we trying to achieve? What are the key, how are we going to do that? What are the key strategies on how we're going to do that, right? So Salopta Family Project, when they first started working with us, they they actually pair marginalized children or women rather. Uh, so just women who are largely ignored in the community with orphan children. And they create what they call these forever families where they are not just uh, a temporary placement for orphans, but rather a wraparound care service, a long-term commitment, a family goes well beyond, you know, a kid graduating from, from high school, say, right? You could still call your parents well into life and then you care for one another. Um, and so when they were thinking about how to grow and they really needed to grow, we started to identify, okay, well, if we were going to double revenue, how would we go about doing that? What are the key areas we're going to focus on? So we capture that in a strategic plan. And then you essentially look at, okay, one of them was going to be, we were going to really lean into peer-to-peer -peer fundraising because that was, there was an opportunity there for them. And another area was cause marketing and really thinking about how to leverage corporate uh, marketing dollars instead of corporate philanthropic dollars. Most nonprofits go after donations, but those are very limited versus marketing dollars are kind of infinitely scalable. So those were just two of the strategies that made sense. Then we developed all these tactical things. Like if we're going to focus on fundraisers, we need to have little things like we need a good peer-to-peer -peer fundraising platform. But more importantly, like let's think about donor segmentation or, or supporter segmentation, donors, volunteers, fundraisers, advocates within the fundraisers. Like are these people network mobilizers? Can they get a lot of people to attend the event and donate on their behalf? 
um, sharing a ton of context. But my point is that there were all these little ideas like we need to coach people who are passionate about Salampta, but who are not professional fundraisers on how to ask people for money. So a, a fundraising coaching series made it in there. So big ideas, little ideas, they all get added in. And we scored those based on impact. How much impact would they have on our ability to double revenue against that key strategy? How? With cost, you know, time and money, like a fundraising platform costs money. It takes time and money to draft an email series and build out an engagement flow, right? And so by doing this more action-oriented strategic planning process, what we did was we started to develop, uh, uh, we were clear on direction and we were clear on how we were going to get there. And we really thought about what should be done first. And um, and as a result, the organization was able to, you know, leverage all kinds of cool stuff, a Travelocity grant to film, to build brand awareness. Like we built a really big peer-to-peer -peer program, but also kind of what I was sharing about Team Rubicon and at Cosmic is like our identities shift over time. And what to uh, to Marissa, the, the executive director's credit, she saw an opportunity and actually the connection between family, the forever family, and the faith-based community in, in the US, the donor base, and that there was a strong connection there that they, were, they weren't really maximizing or taking advantage of because they weren't directly connecting the two. So that's that a plan is a good place to deviate from that I was talking about is as you move through the process of growing, you need to, success is not final, stop and evaluate what's working, what's not, what's missing. And she found that opportunity and leaned into it with these frameworks and they've been very successful. They've, they've grown up, they've doubled more than, more than once. Um, so yeah, just a little bit more about, about Salamta and how they leverage that growth strategy. Explain about the one page strategic plan, the, the OPSP, you talk about this in the book too. Yeah, this is, this is like my favorite, uh, my favorite thing. Um, because it aligns everybody and it's the simplicity, it's hard to get down into a single page, right? But but essentially at the very top, it's what are we trying to achieve? Okay, let's say we're trying to double our revenue. How are we going to do that? I talked about that already. What are the key strategies? Um, okay, then who should we be targeting? Uh, like who should we be going after? Let's say one of your key strategies is to, to take an audience-led approach, right? So one of our clients is Surfrider. Well, who they're going after is mass market, major donors, uh, you know, certain corporate partners, et cetera. And then what motivates them? Well, they have four programmatic pillars. So that's really like, what are we talking about? What do they do? In their well, case, Surfrider, what, what do they do? Surfrider surf is uh, a group of uh, a collection of chapters. There's over 80 across the country. And what they do is they, they work collaboratively to, to put forth legislation, to uh, protect beach access, to protect clean water, to reduce plastic pollution, and to re reverse the impacts of climate change. And why people support Surfrider are different. Somebody who's interested in plastic pollution might not be interested in beach access. Um, so what we what we want to capture on that page is who are we going after? How, what what's the core message? What are the what are the major drum beats? What are the times when every so World Water Day super important for them? Um, some of them are planned and some of them are unplanned. So 
the rainfall that we just experienced in California uh, really damaged coastal communities. But that was an unplanned drumbeat. So the ability to look at this one-page strategic plan and say, should we respond to this disaster? Does it align with our our strategy towards doubling revenue? Um, it gives people a filter who are executors and who are operationalists and leaders to look at and, and glance at and say, yeah, we need to lean into this opportunity. And it means that we're going to have to stop doing these other things um, temporarily or otherwise to get there. So uh, yeah, that's a little bit about what's captured in the one page strategic plan. It's sort of the, what are we trying to do and how are we going to do it and who are we targeting and where should we focus our efforts? It's time for Tony's take two. A week before the 2023 Nonprofit Technology Conference, and already we've got a dozen interviews booked who I'll be talking to uh, conference presenters about, oh, like data-driven storytelling with Julia Campbell, inclusive culture on your board, uh, using your voice to lead, quiet quitting, perhaps personalized fundraising at scale, you might see. These and lots of other shows are coming up in the months ahead. If you are at the Nonprofit Technology Conference, swing by booth 424. I'll be there talking to all these future smart guests, along with Heller Consulting, our 23 NTC sponsor. Thank you again, Team Heller, for sponsoring. That is Tony's Take Two. We've got Buku, but loads more time for the high growth nonprofit with Matt Scott. You talk about intentional discoveries, these sort of uh, internal interviews that yeah. are that are valuable. Explain what that's all about. Yeah, for this, I'll use an example when we were working with Mercy Corps, a uh, nonprofit large established organization. Uh, they provide humanitarian services across the world in over 100 countries and some of the most difficult places. And their fundraising and marketing team is about 65 people. So big department. Within that, they got lots of senior leaders. And uh, we were helping their, their fourth CDMO in four years get the team aligned. So she was relatively new in the seat. Mm. And so what we encourage is to do stakeholder interviews with each person in in her case she had within the department there was about 12 directors just in the department senior leaders for her um and it was about interviewing each of them and figuring out hey what's working what's not what's confusing what's missing you see that kind of common theme and gathering all this input from your team on the regular revisiting it with them once a year is really effective because it allows you as a leader to do these stakeholder interviews, even though you already work there, you already know who those people are and what they face. Well, chances are by just slowing down, taking a pause and actually having a conversation with your team, you know, if you're, go if you're truly doubling, if, if you, when you, when you grow revenue by 25%, 100% of your systems will break. That's been our experience. So by pausing and slowing down and doing interviews with the various stakeholders on your team and understanding what's working, what's not, what's missing, what's confusing, you can begin to prioritize where your clarity needs to, where you need to provide more clarity, where things need to be reprioritized, where 
where you need to address problems that are popping up that are new problems that you weren't expecting because you just moved through a different phase of growth. Yeah, that, that's a whole other good topic because if you're experiencing this rapid growth or you're you're in the midst, yeah, you're you're in the midst of it. Prioritization is is key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's actually you talked about what is something else I want to talk about in the book. It's uh, something we found really useful is um, is uh, Larry Greiner is a is a researcher who years ago, uh, you know, wrote an article on HBR about the evolutions and revolutions of organizational growth growth, and how as you move through the stages of growth the inevitable crisis crises that come up as you move the pain that you're going to experience the solutions that you put in place to address that phase of growth is inevitably going to lead to crisis in the next phase of growth and so we used to pass out the original article and it was very much written from a for-profit lens but this is hbr like, you said harvard business H review uh, yeah sorry harvard business right. review yeah and uh we just received so much positive feedback from from clients that we were taking through our rapid growth program, which is this transformational process. Um, that we are like, we need to rewrite this for nonprofit specific audience because there's some uniqueness to that. Like it's particularly resource constrained, you know. So we did that, and um, it, it's one of the chapters in the book. I talk about like the various phases of growth and the five different ones, and how as you move through them, you're going to inevitably come up with new challenges, but. That's how I think those those two questions or the two topics we just talked about come together. It's like by doing those interviews, rechecking in with your team frequently as you move through the phases, you're going to be able to um, see more clearly from their lens, from their vantage point, when things are breaking and when the solutions that you put in place when you are moving from an entrepreneurial environment to one where you have decisive leadership. <laughs> is inevitably going to lead towards like a sense of, uh, I need autonomy. I'm being told what to do too much, you know? So you have to check in with your team regularly as you move through the phases of growth. That's like you had a lot of autonomy at Rubicon. We, I, we did until I didn't. And so it's funny because Jake is a friend of mine uh, still. And one day we were talking about you know, we were both sharing with each other, how long do you think you're going to stay? Um, and uh, for me, it was became so clear. I was like, my identity, I am a builder and a doer. I am not a maintainer. And so as soon as my job becomes more and more narrow, and it becomes more, we're when a maintain state status, as opposed to like, what we've just gone through for the last seven years, <laughs> that's going to be the moment when I when it's time for me to, uh, yeah, to move into the gray shirt as a volunteer as opposed to a staff member role. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's that that was my own experience and my own journey in, in evaluating when it was time for for me to to kind of move on. But I was given a lot of autonomy and then it was started to get reined in, you know, um, because it had to. We started to have department budgets and processes. And and I was like, yeah, this is necessary and this is not for me. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little about hiring. You say hire when it hurts, but but you need to have a couple things in place before you before you do something that sounds reckless. So yeah. what, what's what's hire when it hurts? 
Yeah, this is some advice that I was given by uh, now the, the chief operating officer at, at a major humane society, but came from a consulting background when he and I were talking about me building this consulting practice. And and I thought about it, I was like, gosh, that is so on point, even when I'm at a nonprofit, right? You, you always feel like you want to put more bodies in place, right? Like if we only had more people, we could achieve more. Um, and we were talking about it from a, hey, cash flow perspective, don't go hog crazy on hiring too many folks because you don't want to have to lay people off if if you you know if it's a temporary need you need to evaluate when when you need to hire so i'll share this because i think it's so valuable for for folks who've made it this far into the into the podcast episode but oh um, we're, we're, nonprofit radio listeners are not dropping off Come okay on. good good oh, they're, okay. they're with us till the end i'm sure of it especially talking okay. about your about high growth Okay. So yeah, help us be the best, best selling book in the free book category <laughs> by making it this far. Um, so World Bicycle Relief, I, I, I share this story. This is one of our clients and, uh, and they, they're you really unique because they're not just a nonprofit, but they're also a social impact business. So they ask for financial donations, but they also sell a Buffalo bicycle to communities in, countries across across the world and they do this to help provide education and access to healthcare and jobs um and let's just take in in certain parts of Africa like the terrain and the infrastructure in Kenya is really different than that of Colombia but they operate in both places and so their marketing team is stretched really thin because they're not just serving the donor audience but they're also trying to serve the various social impact audiences in different countries and produce materials that will help those social businesses and the entrepreneurs that they've set up in country to sell these bicycles, to service these bicycles. And so they're stretched really thin, right? And naturally you just want to go to, I need a hire. But what we did first with them is we gather their marketing team and we said, we want to show you how to think like an internal agency, how to think like a marketing firm internally within your organization. So this tip is something that I think nobody, most nonprofits don't even think about. I don't want to say nobody, but I haven't come across any yet. So one of the things we do at, at Cosmic, and this is common practice in any agency or consultancy, is you think about your time as billable and non-billable. And billable time is essentially time that we spend billing to clients. But as an internal agency, it's things like writing copy, uh, building out workflows, um, merging contact records, whatever, all these different things. Non-billable time is not bad time. It's things like professional development. It's things like paid time off. It's admin time, going to staff meetings, getting aligned, things like that. And so what we told, we, we shared is like, you need to actually evaluate where all of the time is being spent as an internal stakeholder and determine your billable time divided by your total time gives you what's called a utilization ratio. And so at Cosmic, you know, our team of 16 served 28 clients last year and we have we have currently over 65 work streams going on that are across all these different clients and how in the world does that few of people do that much work and the reality is we are very meticulous about understanding how much time it takes to do uh if we get asked to create an annual report or build a landing page or build a workflow we need to understand how much time it takes for the project manager, the content strategist, the copywriter, the designer, right? 
And so we taught this to World Bicycle Relief's marketing team to actually keep track of your time and to set targets for billable versus non-billable. And what they found was where they were spending time and where they weren't spending time. And then when they got requests from the major gift officer for a one-off, you know, uh, one pager, they were able to evaluate how much time that was going to take and the impact that it was going to have. And they could then prioritize their work through their backlog in a way that they had never thought to do before. So that's an example of like going back to hire when it hurts. Chances are it hurts, right? You're stretched thin. There's more to do than time to do it. Before hiring, stop and take stock of where you're actually spending time and what can go and what needs to stay. And only when it really is like your team is running hot and consistently running hot. And if you look ahead and you're saying, gosh, we're having to turn down high impact work because we don't have the capacity to do it. That's when you should hire. But you don't really know that unless you're actually keeping track of your time. Did you think of something that you want to talk about that we haven't yet? Yeah, something else I would like to share. Uh, All right, yeah. success. The only author I can, the only author I, I can remember who doesn't know what he <laughs> doesn't have more to share. You're overwhelmed because you well, there's so much value in the book. You don't know what to choose from. Oh, that's that's kind. I yes, well, I I will share. I'm very grateful to to be on on your show again and, and the work that you're doing to support the community. I think we're aligned there. You know, you're giving away this podcast constantly for free. And I know how much work it is to produce content. So I, uh, I appreciate you having us on. And I, I really, I hope that people find this book to be useful. And I, I guess I would share, please provide feedback because success is not final. And if there's elements in the book that you're like, that didn't land, or we wanted more of this, um, that's the only way we know right? Like what episodes you should, you should make uh, on nonprofit radio or, or what chapters should make it into the next book. All right. All right. Challenge to listeners. You're getting it for free. So give feedback. Um, not re- I'm not ready to end yet though. There's a couple of things I would still want to talk about. We, cool. um, you talk about a rapid growth plan and there are three parts of it. We've talked about the first two. We talked about the one page strategic plan uh, you've talked about your the, the project backlog, right? Which becomes these yep. these ideas to execute the one page strategic plan. That's your yep. those are your projects and impact versus as you as you describe. I'm just reminding folks, impact versus resources that need to be allocated to that. Yep. Right? And then the so, third the third part. The third, yes, that, that's for you. Yes, please. <laughs> The third part is, well, a plan is great and a prioritization is great, but we have to measure how effective this thing is, right? So we develop a simple KPI tracker, key performance indicator tracker to measure the success of the plan. And so I'll just use an example of what might show up on a KPI tracker. So let's say let's say your, uh, your donor base is aging and your file strength, your retention rate is good, but folks are getting older. And so you need to acquire more new donors, right? Um, okay. How are you going to do that? Let's say you turn towards mass market fundraising audience to get there. Uh, there's two things you need to do. One, you need to think about your plan giving approach. And two, you need to think about, because that's where the strength of your file is. And two, you got to acquire new supporters. So what KPIs matter? Well, 
we find with online giving that it comes down to website traffic, conversion rate, and average gift amount. If you can get more people to your website and more of those people give and they give more money, <laughs> then you're going to raise a lot more money online, right? Then when you think about, okay, well, what's that retention rate look like? How many of our supporters are moving from one time to monthly? Um, what's that upgrade look like and retention rate look like? Um, so those are all these KPIs. So for when you go back to the one-page strategic plan, you think about, well, what were our hows? Maybe one of your hows is we're going to build a, a robust legacy giving program, which, which Tony, I know you know more about than I do. So I don't, what do you think are the KPIs that people should measure when they're thinking about building out plan giving program? Oh, well, first of all, you, you're not going to acquire new donors through planned giving, but yep. some of the, some of the key metrics, uh, how many conversations you've opened about, about the topic, how many solicitations you've actually gotten to, um, might be just how many meetings you've had around this topic, which is different than the conversation. You know, you may not have quite opened the conversation, but you had a meeting to to suss out the possibility. So, you know, those are, so there's three, like number of meetings, number of conversations opened, number of solicitations made, of course, number of commitments that, yeah. that donors are willing to make. So there's there's four early ones. Yeah. Exactly. And so the 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 KPI has to match up to whatever your strategy is. And it basically needs to it needs to be I think of KPIs as both leading. There's leading indicators and then there's trailing indicators. So the leading indicators you described are like how many conversations, you know, were were opened. Uh, meet, meetings had would be a very early leading indicator. And then how many you know conversations now you're starting to get a little bit further. The trailing indicators. Um, you know, you, you start to evaluate at different phases, like, are we going to hit our goal? <laughs> is this strategy working or is it not working? Does it need to be adjusted? So the idea is that together, those three things, and by the way, throughout the book, I hope it becomes clear, but I'll just share my own personal experiences. When in doubt, make it as simple as possible. Create KPIs that are easily trackable, that you don't have to spend a lot of time going into a lot of different systems to get this data. You wanna be thinking about how do I make this as easy as possible? I don't need to spend any time describing what it means when we say website traffic or conversion rate or average gift amount. We don't have to describe what it means like number of lapsed donors or whatever. Um, and you just wanna have your system set up so that your KPI dashboard you can regularly look at and not have to spend a lot of time building out people think like oh data driven and you know people people want want a ferrari when what they need is a kia <laughs> you know and they don't even have a pit crew to like help them race this formula one car around the track like find the kia find the kia that's that's i guess my metaphor advice on that that's the uh, rapid growth plan all right yeah and and the one i do want to close on Know your strength. Know your Something strength. That, that uh, know your strength chapter. Do you know your strength? Yeah, I think that this this rings true both on an individual and an organizational level, right? Um, and where is it that that you are uniquely positioned to drive impact like nobody else can? Um, I mean, you know how, how it is. So I think about like organizations have come to us and they think they're the only ones solving the water crisis. <laughs> You're like, uh, actually, 
there's a lot of people doing exactly what you're doing. Um, and I think it's, I think it's just really important to have a, a clear idea of, you know, what problem are we uniquely positioned to solve in a way that is unique to our culture? So I'll use, I'll go back to Team Rubicon as an example to drive this home because we talked a lot about it. Um, when you think about disaster response, there is response, the immediate response. Uh, well, the, there's there's like preparedness, you know, readiness. Is the community ready for a disaster? Then there's the actual like response to the disaster. And then there's the long-term recovery, right? And Team Rubicon, when we first got started, our strength was really in the response because we were able to pull from the military culture to very quickly respond. We didn't have a lot of uh, bureaucracy. We didn't have a lot of uh, red tape. Um, but it was really challenging to get into the recovery business in the early days by business. I just mean the business of serving folks affected by disaster, not making money on recovery, but like, you know, that's a different, that was a different organization's strengths. That's a different skill set to be able to build out, uh, rebuild communities affected by disaster, re-roof homes and all that. Team Rubicon really didn't get involved in that for a really long time in their trajectory. And it wasn't until they had clearly, uh, they had leaned into their strengths on the response side and they had really figured out what worked. And then they thought, okay, how, what worked in there that could work with, with how we would go about the recovery and how does that compare to someone like the red cross and how they approach the rebuild effort. Um, so knowing your strengths and knowing your sector is super important. It's like, what do you, what's that North star? What are you trying to achieve? What's your cultural principles? What, what makes you uniquely good at what you do? And lean into that relentlessly and stay focused on that. And don't try to become the latest thing in every category, um, I guess, is what I would say at, at, a, at a high level. Um, is there something that stood out to you in that chapter, Tony, that I didn't talk about there? No, just identifying and, and leveraging what you're strong at instead of trying to go broader you know, uh, some people and some organizations may try to improve weaknesses rather than double down on their strengths. Yeah. People do this all the time, right? Like, that's a good point. I'll, I'll share one more thing. And I, I know like more and more and more, I am really comfortable with the visionary role. Like I love starting things. I don't particularly enjoy finishing them, nor does my team like it when I try to finish things because I'm not very good at that. Uh, it's really hard for me. It's a hard muscle to, 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 to kind of push through, but I have like found Bobby, my operational partner. She's the magic at 10,000 feet. She connects the executors with the 30,000 foot vision and makes project plans and makes sense of things and loves finishing projects, not starting them. So knowing your individual strength as a leader too, and figuring out like, am I more comfortable in futuristic vision planning? Um, or am I more comfortable in operationalizing things and figuring out what you need as an operational partner? Because really nobody has it all. Like you just don't. And you might be able to flex when you absolutely have to, but your best flex is going to be their worst, just standard operating procedure because that's their strength, right? So uh, I found that we've been able to grow a lot faster in clients too. Like we, we work with a lot of clients that are CEOs that don't have operational partners or sometimes they get in the way and it's like knowing when you should stop and when your 
when the operationalist should pick up is really an important thing to distinguish. Matt Scott, the book is The High Growth Nonprofit, Proven Steps to Quickly Double Your Revenue and Drive Impact. It's at Cosmic, which is cause, C-A-U-S-E-M-I-C, cosmic.com slash book. And it is free to you, including the shipping. Shipping, Shipping is covered. Matt, we'll thank you very much. Thank, congratulations again on the book. Thank you for sharing your thinking. Yeah, thank you, Tony. I really appreciate you. My pleasure. Next week, I'll bring the first 23 NTC interview, and they're all going to be excellent. I'll just pick one that's extra excellent. Ex- yeah, extra excellent. Exactly. Next week's show is going to be extra excellent, just like I said. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We are sponsored by DonorBox. With intuitive fundraising software from DonorBox, your donors give four times faster. Helping you help others, DonorBox.org. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Ow. Go out and be great. Ow. <laughs> <laughs>